Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and Episode 17 of Greens with Envy, our podcast where Guy and I talk about where we've been, the courses we've seen, the people we've talked with. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, alongside Guy Cipriano, Editor-in-Chief of Golf Course Industry Magazine. And unlike last month, we are in different locations I'm about to start a vacation, so I am not in my home office. I am in my home garage, which I picked because I think it is the closest thing I have to a maintenance facility, although it is far less clean than most of the maintenance facilities I see. Guy, you're in the studio today. How are you doing? Doing great. What type of uh, turf equipment's in your garage, Matt? I have, and this is not an endorsement of any one brand, but my father-in-law did buy me a Toro push mower a few years ago. Uh, I have that. I have some Ryobi trimming tools. And what is the other one? And I have some Black & Decker tools as well. So nothing truly industrial, but enough to take care of a very small plot of land. What speed is the backyard running at? Very slow because the weeds from the neighbors are blowing over. I need to edge during my week out of the office for sure. And final question, is your irrigation system in need of an upgrade? Well, it's rained quite a bit in the last week, so the natural irrigation is working wonders. The grass is green, green enough for an almost four-year-old to play in the backyard. So I will say yes. Yeah, we were fairly dry up until recently here in Northeast Ohio. It was a dry end of the spring and a dry start of the summer, and the golf courses are playing uh, firm, and it's been a lot of fun playing golf around here. And you've played quite a bit recently. We have four items on the docket today. Three of them are yours, and the first one is a truly, not unprecedented, obviously, but a truly jaw-dropping event. You were called into service on Monday for a charity event, but you got the call probably, what, about 12 or or maybe even 10 hours ahead of time for a 100-hole charity event. And we've talked a little bit about this, but I don't know many details, so I'm going to get out of the way and let you tell me and let you tell everybody listening about the logistics of playing 100 holes, how long it took, why you did it, who you were with. I'm really curious about this. So we'll get into the amazing conversation I had a little bit later in the podcast, but in the midst of that conversation, which was on Sunday evening, my phone beeped multiple times, and it turns out it was our publisher, Dave Zai calling me and he needed something for me pretty fast. Uh, Our company, GIE Media, had a two-man team in a Monday outing at Elyria Country Club here in Northeast Ohio that benefits the Orange Effect Foundation. And the president of our company wasn't able to make it uh, and they needed a backup. So the president of our company, Chris Foster, and our Publisher Dave Zai, we're going to play as this two-person team. They needed the second person, and 
they called me and I happened to be on a golf course having an amazing conversation. And this was probably around 7 p.m. on a Sunday night. And I needed to be at Elyria Country Club at 6.30 a.m. on a Monday morning for a 7 a.m. tee off for a 100-hole outing benefiting the Orange Effect Foundation, which ensures children with speech disorders receive speech therapy and technology. And this wasn't your typical Monday morning shotgun outing. This was a hundred holes. So it was Monday morning, afternoon, and a lot of the evening. And yeah, so I didn't have a lot of notice to get ready for it. But uh, thankfully, I keep my body and mind in decent shape. And thankfully, you know, I'm able to go away and do things on a whim because you do a good job of holding things down with golf course industry. So yeah, uh, just didn't even really have time to mentally think about what was going to happen uh, that day. And luckily, like I said, I, I felt physically prepared. And yeah, we went and played a hundred holes on an amazing William Flynn designed golf course that is spectacularly maintained by Superintendent Patrick Rogers and team. And it was a day that I'll certainly never forget. Prior to that event, what was the most number of holes you had played in a single day? Had you done a centennial or what was your high before that? No, I believe my high before that was in high school. When I was a teenager, I think my father and I played, I think it was 63 holes in a day at Lone Pine Country Club in Washington County, Pennsylvania, which was a course that we uh, played a lot when I was growing up and a hundred is a lot of golf. It, it sounds like it sounds like it exactly is. I mean, that's something that not a lot of people get the opportunity to do. And you have to have a lot of things working in your favor to complete a hundred holes in one day. You need a lot of daylight. Well, this was contested on June 22nd, which was the second day of summer, which was close to being the longest daylight uh, we have available here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, it was a limited field. I think there were only a dozen teams, so you weren't waiting on anyone the entire day. You need a golf course that makes itself available for that. And fortunately, Elyria Country Club uh, supports th this outing and you know, allows the organizers and the Orange Effect Foundation to use the golf course. So you need an understanding uh, club, you need an understanding golf course maintenance team, and the team at Elyria Country Club, led by Superintendent Patrick Rogers, did a great job in the morning of um, balancing what they had to do with uh, people trying to rush through the golf course. So you need a lot of things working in your favor to pull off a, a hundred holes. It's not really something you can just wake up one day and do without any advanced planning. But I mean, to me, the key is the daylight and the golf course that doesn't have many players on it. I suppose if you were farther north, if you were in, say, Alaska or somewhere where they had even longer daylight, you could squeeze in more holes. I'm curious how you felt after playing 100 holes physically, but before we get into that, how many holes of golf do you think you could play in one day if, as you said, everything was just laid out perfectly like it was earlier this week for you? I think I could do more than 100, Matt. Uh, I do yoga and core work uh, 25 to 30 minutes every day. Uh, as you know, I, I, I run and bike frequently. I, I play a decent amount of golf and go to the range 
often uh, my body doesn't feel what my age is. I, I eat fairly healthy. I, I, I try to stretch a lot when we're here in the office. And honestly, like if I had an entire golf course to myself and a golf cart, nobody else on there and went from sunrise to darkness here in Northeast Ohio, which would be about, I don't know, maybe you could start at 5.45 a.m. and play till about 9.30 p.m. this time of year. We teed off at this outing at 7 a.m. and got done at 9.09 a.m. But if it was just me and I had the entire day, I think I could probably get in 126 holes, maybe even more than that. If it, Like I said, if it was just my myself and there's no grinding out putts or, or keeping a specific score, I think I can go much more than 100. Do you think you could go over 200? That might if be everything a, is absolutely co- right. That would be that would be interesting. That would be a stretch. I mean, who's going to have a golf course to themselves during the, the the perfect time of year to do it, right? Like that that's probably the biggest impossibility is having that course availability. Uh, you know, I don't have my own golf course and I don't think I'll ever have my <laughs> own golf course. So to me that that would be the the toughest part would be the the get getting the course availability. But no, my my body felt my body felt fine. Uh, I didn't feel any pain the next day. I, I played golf nine holes two days later and felt fine. I worked out the, the next morning. I would say that the toughest thing was our fifth 18, which put us at 90 holes, was our, our best 18. It was a two-person scramble. And those last 10 holes after we shot our best round of the day, they were a bit tough to get up, up for and just get mentally into because you weren't playing 18 and it was only going to be a 10-hole score for that round. So to me, that that was the biggest mental challenge of the day. Um, didn't I mean? I had a little bit of left forearm soreness, but the back felt fine. Which you know, when I played a lot of golf as a teenager, the the back would sometimes go, but that's been strengthened, I think, because of a lot of the the core work and yoga and stretching that I do. So you know, I'm sure. That, I mean, I know there are people in way better physical condition than I am, but. I felt fine. I mean, we were taking a cart. It's not like we were walking. Uh, the temperatures, it got a little, it, it rained during the, the morning, but it was, and the rain kind of made things cooler. But when we got to about 3 p.m., it got pretty sticky. And Elyria Country Club has some holes that border the Black River. So it, it could be that humid type situation. And it was a fabulous golf course. We haven't got into the, the golf course yet, Matt, and my impressions of it. And we will in a sec. I just want just to double-check. So 200 would be a stretch, so it's safe to say 300 or 400 is out of the realm of possibility right now for you, right? I'm not sure. I don't know if anyone could pull off that much in the type of daylight that we have in Northeast Ohio. I would say, and this isn't to brag or anything, but I hit the ball fairly straight. My nickname is Boring Golf Guy around the office, so there weren't – I don't have to search long for balls that often. Uh, and I would think one thing that would really help your time, too, is if you hit a wayward shot, just just drop it somewhere nearby or just, just re-tee it. You know, if you take out the ball searches, I know the USGA only allows three minutes now for a ball search, but if you can take those completely out of the um, equation, that's probably shaving off six to nine minutes around for, for most players. So that would be one thing that would help. And, you know, you could also – have a little bit leeway on on the greens if you gave yourself 
putts that were within a putter length or within a putter grip length, you could get through quicker, quicker too. Now I, I will say one thing with this whole COVID-19 golf situation, nobody's taking the flag stick out right now. And things have really sped up on the greens because of that. And that, that certainly helps not just in a hundred hole outing, but in a regular nine hole or 18 hole or six hole or three hole or whatever you want to call it round of golf. I've noticed things are a lot quicker on the green now without pulling flag sticks. I've heard that. And you've heard that from a lot of folks that we've talked with this spring and early summer, but I bring up three or 400 because the Guinness world record for most holes played in a 24 hour span is actually 420 and it was done fairly recently, and the story is cool. You and I are both baseball fans. It is actually set, the record is held, by former Major League Baseball outfielder Eric Burns, who played 12 years in the majors with the A's and the Rockies and the Orioles and the Diamondbacks and the Mariners. And he did it last May, I believe. Uh, and he did it at um, the Ocean Course at Half Moon Bay Golf Links outside San Francisco. He played with one club. He played with an 8-iron from 7 a.m. on a Monday to 5.31 a.m. on a Tuesday. And again, one club used an 8-iron, used glow-in-the-dark balls. And apparently he covered, this is incredible too, covered 105 miles by foot in 24 hours. So you have a long way to go from 100 holes in 14 hours to... Uh, getting up to the fastest level of play, even with with uh, round speeds ratcheted up a little bit in the last few months, uh, four to twenty in, in in a day might be a challenge for a lot of people. I think. You know what word comes to mind when you mention Eric Burns? Scrappy, and I wonder if his <laughs> golf clothes were as dirty after that four hundred plus hole day of golf as his baseball uniform was when when he played he i don't know if he played in this but it looks like he's wearing what you would wear to basically go running it looks like he has compression socks on and not skin tight shorts but like knee length shorts i can't tell if they're running shorts or golf shorts and a tech shirt like a technical style t-shirt and he did it for the let them play foundation which is a charity dedicated to helping kids partake in outdoor sports so he was not wearing say a traditional golf polo uh, and slacks and and probably not even wearing golf shoes he was probably wearing some derivation of running shoe to cover 105 miles in 22 and a half hours before we get into the the golf course and how awesome Illyria country club is i think the charity element of this is very important that's one of the biggest Issues here in 2020 is that a lot of charity outings have been canceled and won't happen. So there isn't going to be nearly as much money raised for all these great causes causes via golf just because outing sizes are really limited. This was one where there were less than 30 players and they were able to pull it off with some of the restrictions here in Ohio. So that, that's going to be one of the biggest disappointments of the 2020 golf season is that a lot of these charity events aren't going to happen. This one did, and it raised over $47,000 for the Orange Effect Foundation, which is just a great number. And a lot of children with uh, speech issues are going to receive the help that they need be- because of this golf outing and the generosity of lots of people 
that were affiliated with it and the volunteers for the foundation. And you, you need a golf course to do it too. So Elyria Country Club was a great host. And yeah, that's going to be one of the things when, when you look back on 2020, you know, I, I think we'll be close to what rounds were in 2019. But, and courses, the revenue numbers are going to be interesting to see when the year's done. But the, the charity number isn't going to be nearly as great as it is in a typical year where, you know, it, it goes into the billions of billions of dollars. And, yeah, it was good to, to get back on the course for a charity outing because I was supposed to be in some other ones that have already been canceled. It's awesome to hear almost $50,000 raised in a day. So, like you say, a lot of events canceled and a lot of the fundraising curtailed, but no doubt it will return. It'll take a, it'll take a while to ratchet back up, but uh, glad that that's a great charity that Joe Polizzi has put together. Um, so that's awesome to hear that 50 grand almost in a day. Oh, and speaking of uh, Joe Polizzi is the, the founder of the Orange Effect Foundation, and he is a marketing guru. Um, he's created marketing summits, and he does a podcast called This Old Marketing, which I listen to whenever they produce a new episode. And when I, when I saw him, I said, I listened to your podcast, man, and he just smiled. Now, getting into the course itself, you've, you've raved about it here just in, in little bits and pieces while we've talked about other stuff. Let's get into the course itself because it's a great course, and you saw it a lot more than you normally would. You saw it five and a half times more than you normally would. What were your impressions overall of Elyria Country Club? Yeah, I had never been to Elyria Country Club despite living in Northeast Ohio for – over six years now. It's on the far west side of Cleveland. Elyria is a former industrial heavyweight city that has lost a lot of that in industry, especially in car manufacturing and car parts. But the country club's still there. It's a fabulous William Flynn design. The club was established in 1905. It was a nine-hole course. It was uh, started by the Worthington Ball Company of Elyria, which was acquired a golf ball line from Hunt Manufacturing of Massachusetts that included the Haskell patent, which, do you know what the Haskell ball was, Matt? I've heard of it. Well, it was created by Coburn Haskell of Cleveland, and it was the first three-piece rubber golf ball, and it replaced the, the gutta percha ball. So uh, the Worthington Ball Company founded the country club in 1905. They expanded, the, they purchased some land along the Black River, in the 1920s, and William Flynn expanded the course to uh, 18 holes in 1926, and it's just a fabulous piece of land. It, it, it has some rolling topography, which isn't common for the west side of Cleveland. The west side of Cleveland is t tabletop flat in most cases. It has multiple holes that play along the Black River, so there's, some, there's a natural feel to it. There aren't any houses on the golf course. Uh, the, the whole lengths are are fascinating. The par fives are as strong as maybe any set of par fives I've ever played. Uh, you know, they go up and down, and they have some they they have some tight spots, but they have chances to go for the green in two. And there's some trouble and gullies and creeks that that go through them. Uh, real strategic par fives, which were just fabulously fun to play. Uh, the par fours 
range and yardage. And I, I think it was kind of cool that five of the par fours were under 400 yards. And some of them you really could get close to the green, but there was some risk if you got close to the green. And the, the, the turf conditions produced by Patrick Rogers and his team were fabulous. I mean, the, the course had some bounce. And I would think that it plays pretty close to the way that William Flynn intended it to play when he designed it in the, the mid-1920s. Yeah, almost a century ago now. That sounds incredible. Were there things that you picked up on? I mean, there have to be. But I guess what things did you pick up on the second time through, the third time through, the fourth time through, the fifth time through, that maybe you wouldn't have noticed had you played only 18 holes? You kind of felt like a machine after the first 18. The first 18, you were out there and getting a sense of the golf course. And like I said, I had never been there. You were getting your body warmed up for it. You know, like I said, I didn't have uh, weeks or months or even days to prepare for this thing. So the, it, I almost compare it to like playing football. Like the, the first 18, you felt like you were that blocking fullback kind of clearing the way for the rest of the day. And I picked up on a lot of the um, shot angles and really how to set drives up to play the second shots that you need it to in a lot of the uh, on a lot of the holes so that to me it was real fun and I would say that the golf course got more enjoyable each round and that's the sign of a great golf course in my mind and hopefully I get a chance to go back there soon uh I don't belong to a private club because we have so many good public golf courses here in northeast Ohio and we we travel a lot but you know I I have to admit when I the day after the outing, I just kind of clicked on the membership page on the website just out of curiosity and daydreaming. It, it really is a, a fabulous golf course. And if I was going to play a golf course every day or, you know, four times a week, that would be the, the type of place I would want to play my golf at. And it really felt like you're stepping back in time, too, which is what I really like. And, yeah, I can't say enough great things about the golf course and Superintendent Patrick Rogers and his team. And, you know, that's not easy for a golf course maintenance team to have a course ready for a 7 a.m. Monday outing with, you know, a lot, a lot of people that aren't members, but they were very gracious. Um, you know, some of the, the people on the crew were asking us what we were up to. And then when we, when we told them we were playing a hundred holes, you know, they, they had a lot of questions about that. And you know, I would say, you know, Dave's I, our publisher and myself have both worked golf course maintenance in the past. So there were, there was a hole in particular where we saw that somebody was only a third of the way done mowing a green. And this was like at seven twenty in the morning. And we, we just moved on to the next hole and played it twice. The second time we got around it, we didn't want to create any issues for the, the maintenance team that was working so hard to, to prepare a golf course for a unique outing that benefited a great cause. And also when you're playing a hundred holes, you could skip a hole. You don't really, you know, and play it at another point in the day. If it was just an 18 hole outing, it would be a little bit different missing a hole. Illyria country club, not the only course you visited recently in this episode will have a decidedly northeast ohio bent just because we're back out on courses but like a lot of folks we're not traveling much beyond the confines of our of our city or our county or our region even uh you went to clearview golf club which is a pretty important golf club in probably the last 75 to 80 years of history of golf. Maybe some listeners have heard of it. It's in uh, the Canton area, a little south of Ohio, or a little about an hour south of Cleveland. And if folks aren't familiar with it, why should they know Clearview Golf Club? Yeah, so we talked about the amazing conversation at the historical place 
we alluded to it earlier here in the podcast. Well, I was at Clearview Golf Club when I got the call from our publisher, Dave Zai, asking me to play in this 100-hole outing. And uh, I feel bad. I, like I said, I, I've lived here for over six years, and I'd never been to Clearview Golf Club until this recent visit. And how it all played out for me was it, it happened on Father's Day, and I was playing in a Father's Day outing with some of my golf league friends at a golf course called The Quarry in Canton, which is a, a golf course that is built on an old mining site. And it's one of the um, most played public courses in Northeast Ohio. And we got done around 5 p.m. on that Sunday. And I'm like, I'm really close to Clearview Golf Club. I have to go there. I'm going to go there and walk nine. Uh, like I said, I feel awful because I had never been there before. And I, I pull into the to the parking lot and it's, it, you just feel the sense of history. Uh, they have signs saying America's course this way. And I pull in and there were, were two women uh, working outside the pro shop. They didn't have the pro shop open. They're really taking the COVID-19 protocols super seriously at, at Clearview, which was good to see. And there was a woman on a golf cart and then another woman on a golf cart. And the one woman was talking on the phone. And I didn't realize that she was talking on the phone, but I had met her once. Well, it, it was Renee Powell. And, and anyone that's familiar with golf history knows about the Powell family and Renee in particular. And I said hi to her and mentioned that I had met her before, but I didn't realize she was on the phone. So she kind of looked at me like, like, who the heck are you? So I, I, I paid with the other woman and then I, I went out and um, I played the first hole, played the second hole. And then on the third hole, Renee comes walking down and says, oh, you know, sorry, you know, I couldn't talk to you earlier. I was on the phone and we chatted by the third green for an hour. Uh, so Clearview Golf Club, for those that aren't familiar is the first golf course in the United States that was designed, built, and owned by an African-American family. A man named Bill Powell, who's an absolute legend, uh, after coming home from World War II, built nine holes on 78 acres of land in East Canton. Uh, he was working as a night security guard at the time, and his wife, Marcella, helped him build this golf course. Uh, the course was established in 1946, which was the same year that Renee Powell was born. It expanded to 18 holes in 1978. And I would make the argument, Matt, that this is one of the most historic golf courses in the United States. Uh, unfortunately, not a lot of people across the country, let alone even in Northeast Ohio, know about Clearview and what it stands for and what Bill Powell and his family had to overcome to, to build it and operate it. Uh, it it's, a, it's a living piece of history. It's... it's um, it's a national historic site, and there's a sign on the, on the first tee. It's also a state historic site. And, yeah, it just oozes history, and you think about what, what happened. And, you know, Bill Powell's son, Larry Powell, has been the superintendent for more than 40 years. Uh, the, the Powell family was honored with the old Tom Morris Award at the 2019 Golf Industry Show by the GCSAA, which was, which was long overdue recognition for that, that family for what it's contributed to the golf course maintenance uh, community and yeah, I had an amazing conversation with Renee. Renee was the second African American woman to compete in the LPGA Tour in 2015. Get this, she was one of the first two women that became members of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club in St Andrews, Scotland. Renee's in the PGA of America Hall of Fame. Uh, this year, she's the American Society of Golf Course Architects Donald Ross Award winner. She has launched a number of programs that have helped thousands of people across the world, including uh, Clearview Hope, which it, 
is uh, stands for Helping Our Patriots Everywhere. It's a free year-round therapeutic and recreational golf program for women veterans. And I found out that the woman that was working outside the pro shop with Renee on Father's Day evening came through that program. Uh, Renee told me that in the conversation. Uh, Renee has two doctorate degrees, including one from the University of St. Andrews. Those are honorary degrees. She's in seven Hall, hall of Fames. So here I am having this conversation with her outside the, the the third green. I mean, we had to have talked for, for an hour as Dave was trying to call, frantically call and text me. And it's just a conversation I'll, I'll never forget. We talked about her family and, and, and the history of golf and what Clearview means and some of the things going on in the country and some of the things that, you know, she, her and her family have had to overcome throughout the years. And uh, it was just so awesome. I only ended up playing six of the nine holes because I had to get home for this hundred hole thing, but we will be back at Clearview uh, very soon. Like I said, I just feel awful that I had never been there. And if, if you're ever in Northeast Ohio, anywhere close to, to Canton, Akron, Cleveland, go see Clearview golf club. It's a play. It was a great golf course from what I could tell. The greens were gigantic. Uh, like I said, they're really taking the COVID-19 protocol seriously. You know, the pro shop wasn't open. Uh, I was one of only three golfers out there on Sunday night, which was father's the father's day night. And that, that was another special thing, you know, talking to Renee Powell on father's day night about what her father built and, and, you know, Larry wasn't there. I think he was celebrating Father's Day with his, his family. I, I had a chance to meet Larry briefly at the 2019 Golf Industry Show. They're just an amazing family, an amazing story. And it was a, a surreal evening to, to get to spend that time with Renee. We, you know, we traded business cards and, you know, we hope to be back at Clearview soon. There's so many good programs run out of there. And it got me thinking about a, a lot of things, Matt. And, you know, if there was ever a cause to, to take up. And there's so many great ones involving golf. The Powell family needs to be in the world golf hall of fame. Uh, they're not in there, which is a shame. Uh, there are no family inductees right now, but there should be a lifetime achievement, uh, recognition for what they've done to golf. It's so symbolic. They built a golf course when nobody thought that one could be built for somebody in their situation at that time. They've overcome so many odds. They've done so many great things to, to keep that golf course going and get, get young people and, and people, actually all types of people, not just young, people from all different age groups, all different backgrounds, all different races, all different nationalities to, to play golf. I mean, Renee is as great of a golf ambassador as there is at the moment. And it, you look at some of the people in the World Golf Hall of Fame, I mean, you have writers, commentators, club chairman, architects, instructors, and developers in the Lifetime Achievement Award category. Why can't this family be in there? Right. I mean, between all of them, an architect, uh, a pro, a superintendent, I mean, they've done literally everything on that course over the last now almost 75 years since it opened in 1946. I mean, there's there's no reason they shouldn't be. And that's the amazing thing. So the course opened in 1946. That was the year that Renee Powell was born. She's 74 years old now. And there she is on a Sunday night working at that course, uh, putting her putting the time in to keep what the family created going, uh, talking to anyone that, that comes through. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing that she's 74. She's still on a lot of boards. Uh, she still does a lot of media interviews. Uh, you know, when, when 
when travel gets going again, she'll be probably going all over the country and the world, uh, spreading a great message and talking about what, what golf means to her and what golf means to so many people and, and her life story. And there she is on a, on a Sunday night when the course wasn't that crowded. It was a hot Sunday night too. I mean, we, the heat index was close to 90 and there she is working and keeping, uh, the family legacy going when she doesn't really have to be out there anymore. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible story, and I would expect more either in the pages of GCI or on our website or on a podcast or who knows, maybe multiple of those mediums. But definitely a story that deserves to be told more frequently and more widely than it is right now. Yeah, and Renee and I were just talking as two people that, that love golf. I mean, I, I didn't have the recorder on. I wasn't taking any notes. Uh, you know, I think – once she came out and greeted me by the third green, I, you know, I'd met her, I think twice before, but I don't, I'm pretty sure she didn't recall who I was or, you know, I had to explain to her what golf course industry does. Larry's been uh, quoted in our magazine a, a few times and I know that, that they get the magazine, but you know, we were just talking as two people that were passionate about golf and we were talking about some of the things, you know, that her family did. And we were talking about things that were going on in the country at, at the moment. And, you know, Renee's going to keep going. She's going to keep spreading a great story and a great message. And she's going to do everything she can, even at 74 years old, that, that to promote the game of golf. And, you know, Larry's still the superintendent there. So that's a family that just, just has no stop in it. And like I said, you know, their story's been told and it needs to be retold so that people that haven't heard the story know what they've overcome and what they've established at Clearview golf club and the odds that they were up against to do what they've done for, uh, geez, over seven decades now as a family. I didn't hit as many courses in the last few weeks as you did, but I did get to one and like Clearview designed by somebody who had not previously designed an 18 hole course, um, Boulder Creek golf club, which, some folks may remember from about 15 or 18 years ago when it opened up, it was described as, or is ranked actually, as one of the top 10 new courses in the country. It's in Streetsboro, Ohio, which is south and a little bit of east of downtown Cleveland. Now, you've been there in the past, right? Yeah, so for people that aren't familiar with Boulder Creek, if you've driven on the Ohio Turnpike, uh from Pennsylvania to Ohio or from Ohio to Pennsylvania. And you've seen a beautiful golf course as you're getting close to Cleveland. And you're probably wondering, well, what is that place? And why is it so close to the turnpike? That that's Boulder Creek. And Matt, you, you spent a day there and uh, just describe what that day was like. And what were your impressions of the, the golf course and what they're doing and the operation? I drove around with, the owner and architect, Joe Salimi, for a while, did not have a chance to talk with their superintendent, Chuck Holcomb, but need to for a story in the magazine later this year. I had not been there, and I only knew the story that they had done some work because they're always doing work there. It's been open now for almost 20 years, and Joe Salimi is ultimately a real estate development guy. He owns other businesses like car washes and storage centers, and that's where he made his money and, and was able to accrue all this land, how he was able to accrue all this land in, in pockets over time and, and eventually get the, I think, couple hundred acres that make up the course and the land. But 
his his passion was he wanted to design a golf course. It took him five years. He had no formal training. He read every golf course architecture book he could find, and this was in the late 90s. So there was interest in golf course architecture, obviously, but I don't think quite the same boom that there's been in the last probably five or ten years. And he was just self-taught. And when it opened, it got great reviews. And every year since, he's just tinkered a little bit more, changed a little bit here, added a little bit there. The course is never done. The course, in his mind, is a, is a living, breathing organism, as golf courses are. And it, it does not need to be ever really a finished thing. It's not a statue. It's something that you can come back to and revise over and over and over again. So he just wanted to kind of show off what they had done recently and what they are doing. They've got a few projects going on. Um, but what a piece of land and, and huge hills as well, which you don't have in that part of Northeast Ohio. I asked him how many, how much earth he moved. He said, I have no idea. We didn't, we didn't keep track over the years, but it was probably over a million cubic feet of, of earth had been moved on those couple hundred acres of turf. Yeah, and it's a popular golf course, Matt. Did he mention how much play they get or how busy they've been this season? Busier than normal, for sure, like a lot of golf courses. I believe he mentioned, and this this will be right in the story later in the in the year. I don't have this note in front of me, but I believe it was, I want to say, over 30,000 rounds per year. Um, it is a... It is a an open to the public course. It's it's uh, not a private club, so you've you've got a lot of rounds, and you've got a lot of people who who come and play, and then play again. Um, fairly affordable. Uh, it's a double digit double digit greens fee most days, but uh, I believe it's over thirty. I don't know if they hit forty, but they do. They do have a fairly high turnover. And I saw a lot of golfers uh, when I was out there. Obviously, it was a uh, a couple Mondays back now. Yeah, it's a, it's a great golf course and very popular in Northeast Ohio. The conditioning is obviously uh, fabulous, and it, it really is a unique experience. And if you're ever driving huh, on the Ohio Turnpike and see see that golf course as you're approaching uh, Cleveland and, and you have time, go and play it. Oh, absolutely. Even Even if you don't have time to play it, just go for a walk because the – contours of the land i probably took a walk for more than an hour after i talked with joe and being able to walk that course not even all of it i think i walked probably six or seven holes opened it up completely like walking a course normally does and just being able to see different vantage points getting up on higher points on the course it's just some some stunning views that were really completely man-made yeah, I'm glad you got the the chance to to do that, and that's going to be a awesome story in our October construction and re- renovation issue. And just teasing now, three months in advance, the whole package for construction and renovation this year uh, should be a lot of fun. There's some, some great stories that you have planned for that issue. So we've got a few issues between now and then, but I'm looking forward to to putting that one together later in the year. Yep, and now we got one more golf course to talk about so 
So Father's Day was a few weeks ago. I did not have a chance to spend the day with my dad. Um, we did see my wife's dad. You did, however, get to spend the day with your dad, uh, and you were on a golf course, the old course at Omni Bedford Springs. You'd played this course before, but you took the senior Cipriano out for, for a round. What yes. was that like? Not not the first time you've golfed with him on Father's Day, I'm sure. No, we didn't do this specifically on Father's Day, just the way the schedules work out. We did this the Friday before Father's Day, and my dad lives in Pittsburgh, and I live here in Northeast Ohio, and I, I wanted to take him somewhere special that he had never been that was within you know two hours of where he lived, and I, I, I got thinking, I go, what would be a great place to do that? Well, last year, I had to go to Baltimore for a story. And on the way to Baltimore, I stopped at uh, Omni Bedford Springs Resort to tour the old course with uh, David Swartzel, the great director of grounds and golf course maintenance there. And we had an awesome tour, and the place really struck me. And then on my drive home from Baltimore last year, I had an opportunity to to play the golf course, and it's been in the back of my mind. So when I was thinking about where where do I want to take my dad – for Father's Day this year. He had just turned 70 the week before Father's Day, so I really wanted to do something special and go somewhere that he had not been before. So uh, I made the three-hour and 15-minute drive from Cleveland. It was about an hour-and-a-half drive from where he lives outside Pittsburgh, and we played the old course at Omni Bedford Springs. It was, like I said, the second time that I played it. Uh, David Swartzel and his team had it in spectacular condition. Uh, The resort, resort... had a late start to the year. Uh, the golf course and the resort were closed for a while because of COVID-19 and it had just recently reopened when we played it. And it looked like not many people had been on the golf course yet in 2020. Uh, the course has quite a history. Uh, it was laid out originally by three architects You know, from the 1890s to the 1920s. Uh, Spencer Oldham in 1895, uh, then 1912. A.W. Tillinghast was involved there. And then in the 1920s, Donald Ross was involved there. So there are not many golf courses where A.W. Tillinghast and Donald Ross both have had a hand in. And then the resort in the late 90s and 2000s really fell into hard times. I mean, it wasn't even really functional. And then Omni got involved and some other groups got involved. And there was a rebirth in, in the mid to late 2000s. And it it included the reopening of the golf course, I believe it was in 2007. Ron Force and Jim Nagel did an amazing restoration there. They worked with David Swartzel, and it really is a kind of a golf architecture shrine because they, what Ron and Jim did was uh, create elements that Spencer Oldham, A.W. Tillinghast, and Donald Ross had on the golf course there's there, there's some really cool features. The fourth hole is a volcano par three, the volcano hole that just you, you try to take a bogey and get the heck out of there. There's a, a donut bunker. There's um, a about 110-yard par three with a gully and then a two-level green. There, there's all sorts of mounding. That you really got to shape shots. And it, it's cool because – a lot of the greens have open approaches. Obviously, the volcano hole and the the par three over a gully dump, and that was great because my dad's seventy years old and he still hits the ball pretty well, but he doesn't hit it like he used to. So it's great that he was able to play some run up shots and and played the combo white and gold tees and just had an amazing experience playing this special golf course. Uh, 
you talk about Illyria Country Club and you felt like you were back in time. You even feel like you're further back in time when playing the old course at Omni Bedford Springs. And, you know, the resort is right there and there are all these springs, right? Like all these different types of healing springs and there are long hiking trails. And, and we had a wonderful dinner afterwards at the clubhouse patio. And you know what the name of the uh, restaurant is at the clubhouse? Tilly's. Tilly's named oh, after A.W. Tillinghast. And it was just one of those days that you, you never forget. You could tell that my dad was really enjoying it. And that's what it was all about. I mean, I had a blast. I mean, you know, I, I did it in one day and basically drove close to seven hours to play 18 holes of golf in one day with my father, which which was well worth it. I, w- I would do it again. And, you know, kudos to David Swartzel and his team and, and Ron Force and Jim Nagel. If you're familiar with golf course architecture, they've done some great restorative work at clubs all over the country. And this is one of the, one of the projects that they take tremendous amount of pride in. And it's just a really, really special place. And I would say that if your father is getting up there in age and you want to do something special for, for father's day, kind of think outside the box in the future, do something that, that he's never done before and this was something where you know it was just sad afterwards you know leaving he drove back to his home in in western pennsylvania and i drove back to northeast ohio if you're not familiar with uh bedford springs it's off the pennsylvania turnpike uh between pittsburgh and harrisburg is the best way to describe it so if you're ever driving from pittsburgh to philadelphia or philadelphia to pittsburgh and have a chance to play golf that would be a great place to stop off and do it because it's it's a special special piece of land with a tremendous history matt what did, what did your daughter do for you for father's day i was allowed to sleep in and i got a few cards which was very nice and i got some very nice hugs but she's almost four so as long as i get hugs and i'm not told no repeatedly over the course of the day uh that's a win i think in my book because three is the most challenging age i think of any age yeah, I, I definitely did not. Yeah, I definitely did not take her out for even a couple holes of of putt putt, let alone eighteen holes on the course. Nope, there'll be plenty of time for that, and hopefully she can get a golf club in her hand eventually, and hopefully she enjoys it and does it for the rest of her life. And boy, you have a you already have a cool bag that you could give to her if she does take up golf. I do have a little Sunday bag from uh, the cradle at Pinehurst that I picked up last year. And it's green, which is not her favorite color. It's my favorite color. But maybe she could use that for her early playing days. She currently has a plastic pineapple-shaped bag with a few clubs in it that she got at Target last year. And she enjoys playing with the little plastic clubs in the backyard. But I think she's also even more of a left-hander than I am. So these right-handed clubs don't really do her any good. You see her just wielding it in her uh, left arm, her left hand and her left arm just flailing. And I'm thinking, well, we'll get you left-handed clubs at some point. Yep. Here we are talking about uh, you, you trying to get your daughter involved in golf and me playing with my father for Father's Day and the Powell family. And that's one of the many amazing things about golf is that it's, it's a generational sport and it brings uh, – fathers and daughters and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons together, probably unlike uh, any activity. I think so. 
because it's so participatory and anybody can do it for the most part. Yep. So hopefully here in, uh, you know, we're, we're moving into July and I'm sure Matt and I will be on the courses in some capacity in Northeast Ohio. You know, maybe we will even get out of town soon to work on some stories and projects. So you know, we, we, we're doing the best we can here, uh, getting golf course time in when, when it's a bit of a challenge. I, I will say that the courses in Northeast Ohio have been very, very crowded. Business has been robust at a lot of them. I'm really fascinated to see some of the, the, the recent rounds played reports. And if you just go anecdotally from what superintendents are telling you, from what people working pro shops are telling you, and from what you see with your own eyes when you pull into parking lots and golf courses, uh, there are a lot of places that are going to be busy this summer. It has been an interesting season and will be an interesting year, to say the very least, but a good year for golf. Well, that's it. Uh, We've been to some other courses in the last few weeks and i'm sure we can talk about some of those later as the summer progresses but that that's it matt unless you have something that you want to add or plug here no i am very happy to finally take a vacation starting tomorrow the vacation will be over by the time this podcast airs but looking forward to getting some yard work done getting some housework done maybe taking naps reading books and have a few golf books on the docket Hopefully I can get through those, but should be a good time and I will see you at the end of it. Yeah. Enjoy your vacation. It's certainly well-deserved and thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, You can find us all over the place. Uh, We're on all the popular podcast channels. Uh, You can find us at GCI magazine on Twitter. We have the golf course industry, Facebook page, uh, www.golfcourseindustry.com for all your content needs. You can, Download each issue for free. You can subscribe to the digital issue for free. You can get our fast and firm e-newsletter for free. Where else can people find us, Matt? On Twitter at GCI Magazine. Yep. You are GCI Magazine guy. I'm Matt Lowell. We do some local radio segments here in Northeast Ohio. We're out on the courses a lot. We're not tough to find. No. And, in fact, here on the Superintendent Radio Network next week, Another episode of Off the Course. Have a good one planned there. Beyond the page in two weeks, looking a little deeper at some of the stories in the July issue and the carts cover package. And in three weeks, Guy will be back with another episode of Tartan Talks with a member of the ASGCA. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, get outside and enjoy some golf. For Guy, for Guy Cipriano, I'm Matt Lowell. You've been listening to Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network.